I'm gonna let you go ahead and have a seat uh, here this morning as we, we begin our time together in the Word. We're gonna dive right into things. I've got um, several big things I need to be able to highlight for us at our closing together today. So I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter six. And if you are here with us today uh, as our guest, my name's Taylor, I serve here at Cross as lead pastor and we're honored to have you worshiping with us today. And what our church family's been doing for the last few weeks is we've been in a short message series from Isaiah chapter six called, I Saw the Lord. Um, during the ministry of the prophet Isaiah in the land of Judah, uh, the nation of Judah had enjoyed this tremendous national and economic prosperity under the reign of King Uzziah. But as the nation had grown strong, the people grew proud and their hearts towards the Lord had grown cold. Their worship had grown cold and dull and superficial. And uh, not a lot of time this morning, but just as a very quick recap, we saw a couple of weeks ago in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter one, the worship of the people had become so cold, so checking the boxes, so going through the motions that the Lord levels the indictment against them in chapter one. He said, I'm tired of hearing your songs. I'm tired of hearing your prayers. I'm tired of your sacrifices. I'm tired of all of your gatherings. He actually says, stop doing these things. It's become a burden to me. He didn't basically just drew the line in the set and said, I just don't want to hear it anymore. And, and so it was during this cultural context, it was during this time of dead, dry, superficial religion that Isaiah received a vision of the Lord. We saw two weeks ago that uh, how the antidote to superficial worship, the gateway into authentic worship is an all-consuming vision of the holiness of God. Isaiah's vision starts with seeing the Lord transcendent, seated in majesty, high up on a throne, surrounded by angelic beings, beings singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Then last week we saw how the holiness of God reveals the sinfulness of man. What happens when we come into the presence of a God who is holy is that you and I immediately recognize that we are not. When we stand in light of that greatness, of that transcendence, of that perfection, we are painfully aware of our own inadequacy and our sinfulness and the fact that we don't measure up. And so uh, what we laid out just a couple of weeks ago was that you really see four distinct components of Isaiah's vision. We saw two weeks ago, the vision of God's holiness. Last week, we saw the picture of our sinfulness. Today, we're gonna look at God's mercy and then next week, we'll see how it leads to our mission. And as we've done this, we've seen the good news of Jesus Jesus Christ, the beauty of the gospel unfold in four distinct movements. Who is God? Who is man? Today we see who is Christ, and next week we'll see what is our response. So today we'll be looking at God's mercy and what he's provided for us in Jesus Christ and how that's revealed for us through the vision that the Lord gives to um, Isaiah. Um, like many of you, I've been uh, just trying as best as possible track closely the news over the last couple of weeks as events continue to unfold in Afghanistan. I know particularly being here in a military community, that's a, a major point of processing for many of you, but um, even for all of us as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be especially cognizant of the persecution and the suffering that has now significantly intensified for followers of Jesus Christ in Afghanistan. And uh, this past week, I was reading an interview um, in Christianity Today of a brother who is a, a pastor in Afghanistan, and he was 17 years old back in 2000. 2001, when a lot of this started to unfold. And as he was being interviewed by this journalist, he was looking at what had happened and everything that had been accomplished by the military, which he, from his perspective, saw as good and gave the people a lot of hope. He said, what we're learning is that we put a little bit too much hope in that. He said, it's proving 20 years later that if that was going to be our primary source of hope, that it was going to become a false hope. And so the journalist asked him to clarify, he said, well, with the hope that you experienced, what did you think might happen? 
And he quickly shifted gears, and this was his response. He said, our real hope is Jesus Christ. He said, Afghanistan's been trying many ways to get hope, to get peace inside Afghanistan, but they did not try Jesus Christ. They did not try God. They did not try his love and his mercy. And my prayer and zeal are to share Christ with them, their enemies. And man, I, I don't know about you guys, but it's, it's, it's always such a perspective shift for me when I hear these stories, when I hear these testimonies of, of brothers and sisters in Christ who, who endure so much suffering and endure the suffering so faithfully for the name and the cause of Jesus. Because here's a brother in the Lord who's just saying very transparently, he said, if we're gonna see any true change happening here, our hope cannot be in the strength of military. It has to be in God's mercy. He's rooted his hope. He's anchored his hope in the mercy of God and how his life has been upended by the mercy of God and how he believes it's the message of the mercy of God that could finally be what brings hope to these people. And so he's anchored himself to that truth. And he's living in that truth. And so church, you know, when we look at this vision from, from Isaiah, the last couple of weeks, man, it's been so daunting. You, you see the transcendent majesty of God. You see his perfect holiness. You see this overwhelming, terrifying glory. We've seen how that just exposes all of our sinfulness. But the message of the gospel is not a message of guilt because of our sin. The message of the gospel is a message of grace in spite of our sin. And today what we're gonna see in Isaiah six is the turning point. This is the but God moment in Isaiah chapter six where we see that God has not left us to be obliterated in that sinful state that God has made a way for us to be purified of our sins, to be sanctified, and then as we'll see next week, to send us out on mission. So again, time is short together this morning. It's cool with you guys. I'm just gonna yell about the goodness of Jesus for about 20, 25 minutes. Is that all right this morning? Because that's what we're gonna do here um, together. So we've seen the last couple of weeks, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, but here's the turning point today. We're gonna see that the guilt and shame of sin are no match for the grace and mercy of God. The mercy of God, this is the foundation of our faith that drives us to say, I will give it all for Jesus Christ, come what may. That's what's fueling our brothers and sisters in Christ overseas, and that's what should fuel us today. So if you have your Bibles open, Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read again verses 1 through 8, just the same way we've done the last couple of weeks. I've challenged you to memorize this uh, over the next couple of weeks, but let's read together uh, verses 1 through 8. We're going to focus specifically today on verses 6 and 7. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. This is God's word. 
So today we're gonna focus specifically here on verses six and seven. We wanna see the picture of the mercy of God. We see first in verse seven that we are purified through mercy. Reads like this, and the seraph touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, you remember from a couple of weeks ago, word seraphim really just means something to the effect of fiery beings. These are the thermonuclear celestial beings that surround uh, the throne room of God. We're told that they have six wings. With two, they cover their faces. With two, they cover their feet. With two, they fly. So even the seraphs in their uh, glory and their holiness, they uh, humble themselves before a perfectly holy God. We see that they have voices that shake the foundations of the temple. The temple's filled with smoke as they're calling out to one another. Their song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We're told uh, that this particular seraph here is apparently male. The pronoun used here is he. And, and so the, the picture that Isaiah is seeing as he becomes painfully aware of his own sinfulness, as we saw last week, is now uh, one of these fiery angelic beings coming at him with this uh, burning hot, blazing hot coal that was taken with tongs from the altar. And he's coming at him to touch his mouth, to touch his lips. Now, I don't know how you would feel in that particular situation, but uh, I, uh, just real quick poll question, who likes to cook on propane in this room? That's your preferred way to grill. Okay, how many of us do it the right way and cook on charcoal? We prefer that, okay, praise God. Um, you know, charcoal can burn up to like 2000 degrees. But, but this is an interesting picture here because um, what is it that the seraphim are made of? What, what, are, what are they made of? It's not a trick question. We just said it a second ago. What, what, what are they made of? They're made of fire. And, and what is happening to the coals on the altar? What are they doing? They're burning. So here the seraphim though is made of fire. Why is a seraphim that's made of fire need to use tongs to pick up a coal that is on fire? It shows us here very quickly the picture of the sacrifice that the seraph's not afraid to pick it up because it might harm him. The seraphim is careful to pick it up because it's holy. It's the sacrifice burning in the presence of the Lord. We see from the Old Testament Levitical law uh, that there were five major burnt offerings that could be brought before the Lord. There was the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. And so here a burnt offering has been made. This is atonement for sin and guilt. And so the, Isaiah records that he flew towards him, having one of these live burning coals pulled from the altar with tongs, being so careful with it because of the holiness that it represented. And Levitical law tells us that these sacrifices were a pleasing aroma before the Lord. So he takes it, verse seven, it says, and he touched my mouth. Now again, go back to where we were last week. When Isaiah becomes aware of his sinfulness, he says, woe is me, I am lost. What was his confession of sin? He said, I am a man of what? Of unclean lips. And where does the seraph touch him with the coal? To his mouth. You go back, what was the sin of Isaiah? What was the sin of Judah? What did the Lord call them out for? It was impure praise. Go back to chapter one. He said, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. He said, you're, you're going through the motions, you're checking the boxes, you're doing all the right things, but it's all totally detached from your heart. You live your life the rest of the week functionally like I don't exist. And the Lord says, I've had enough of it. So the seraphim is coming to him to do what he needs most, which is to purify his praise. So I'm gonna take away your guilt. I'm gonna take away your sin of, of fake, empty, superficial worship. I'm going to purify your lips so that you can sing in a song of the holiness of God. He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. 
So the next few minutes, we're going to look at distinctions between mercy and grace. What we see from this, it, mercy is a picture of God removing the punishment for our sin. In mercy, God removes the punishment for our sin. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Mercy means for us, church, that God has withheld from us the just punishment that we deserve due to sin. So even though we're guilty, God, who is the just judge, declares us innocent and he takes away our guilt. And this is important for us to see that this purifying that Isaiah is, is going through, this need for him to become holy, because uh, sometimes what happens is, is you and I come from backgrounds or we come from contexts that have uh, sort of negatively informed some of our biblical definitions. And so, so many of us, unfortunately, we tend to talk about holiness like it's a dirty word. You know, we, we hear holiness and what comes to our mind is more holier than thouness. We start thinking about self-righteousness. We start thinking about people who have kind of set themselves up in an ivory tower and look down on everybody and they're constantly condemning everyone else. And so sometimes out of fear of becoming uh, those who drift into holier than thouness, we actually walk away from holiness. But the picture that we see of God's holiness all through scripture is it's never just him being holy for the sake of showing that he's holy. It's always a call for us to become holy. He reveals himself as holy so that you and I might be made holy. I want you to turn with me in your Bible here just a moment. First uh, Peter chapter one, and we're gonna read uh, really quickly here, verses 14 through 16. And this is a refrain that is repeated multiple times throughout scripture, but summarized well by Peter. It's not just showing us that God is holy. It's the call for us also to be holy. God reveals himself as holy so that you and I might become holy. So first Peter one, we're gonna read verses 14 through 16. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So he's calling us into something new. He's calling us out of something old and into something new. He says, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy in your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. But here's the sad reality for us, church. We cannot attain to that holiness on our own. This is the picture that we see unfolding at the altar. We learn just to jump to the, to the gospel chase here this morning. We, the picture we see at the altar is that it requires, our salvation requires the perfect, holy sacrifice of somebody else. This is not Isaiah's sacrifice. This is a sacrifice that's been made on his behalf and it's only on account of that sacrifice that he can be purified of sin. And the same is true for you and I today. You and I are only made, account, we are only made holy on account of the perfect sacrifice that was made for us by Jesus Christ. And this is the picture that we see revealed in Isaiah chapter six. And, and listen, this is why you don't need to throw away your Old Testament, okay? But we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament together as a church this year because every single one of the 1,189 chapters in your Bible is pointing you to Jesus Christ. Isaiah's vision is pointing us to that day that Christ would come and purify. Just, just think about Jesus in the Old Testament. It's, it's like, where's Waldo, Okay. Like you might not see him right away and you might see some other weird stuff in the picture that you don't quite understand, but man, you look hard enough, he's there every single time. And this is where we see him finally on display in Isaiah six. We can only be purified of our sin on account of his holiness. We cannot throw holiness out the window. This charcoal, it's burning, it's, it's flaming, it's coming to him. You know, there's gotta be some sense of nervousness in his heart as he's seeing this, we certainly would be, but this is the picture we need to see. 
this coal burning hot comes off the altar to touch Isaiah's lips. Man, just think of a, of a raw steak falling on a 500 degree cast iron skillet. I mean, just raw flesh meeting this. But the amazing thing is that it doesn't harm him, it heals him. Church, God's holiness is not meant to harm us, it's meant to heal us. And sometimes we resist the holiness of God because we think it's working against our happiness. We resist his holiness because we think it works against our happiness. And so we'll, we'll come across some, maybe some difficult truth in scripture and, and we'll start to well up inside a little bit. It's like, man, don't, don't preach to me about materialism. I'm just trying to enjoy the good gifts the Lord's given me. Don't press me to think that maybe some of those things have become idols in my life. Like, don't press me to think that maybe I've syncretized my faith with my politics in some extremely unhealthy ways. Don't press me over the fact that I've got half-hearted nominal devotion to Jesus, half-hearted nominal devotion to the church. That's legalism. That's holier than thouness. And so sometimes we take clear biblical commands and we push them to the side. We toss them to the side as holier than thouness. And really it's just a call to holiness. It's a call to pure faith and good and pure exercise of that faith. But, but you know, unfortunately we've seen in recent days, our culture has taken this a step further and we'll, we'll look at the truth of God's word and not only know that it works against our happiness, we'll go as far as to say that truth is dangerous and it harms me. And so it's, man, don't, don't talk to me about biblical sexuality and biblical sexual ethics. That's harmful to me. Don't talk to me about healthy gender distinctions, male, female within the church and outside of the church. That truth harms me. Church, listen, his holiness is not meant to harm you. It's meant to heal you. It's meant to heal us. Now I'm, I'm gonna do something that, that, that may be categorized as insane here in the year 2021. Um, I'm gonna try to do something crazy, which is walk and chew gum at the same time. And we laugh a little bit, but I'm, I'm being halfway serious. Like we're so polarized right now as a nation. Like we've kind of forgotten that we've done this, that we can do this. And so I want to say two statements that are oftentimes very opposed to one another, contradictory to the other, that are both equally true that we have to have the wisdom to discern. So here's statement number one, spiritual harm, spiritual abuse that sometimes happens at the hands of the church. It's real, it's wicked, it's terrible, and it needs to be dealt with honestly and brought to justice. It doesn't need to be suppressed. It doesn't need to be minimized. It needs to be dealt with head on. The church has a very ugly track record of causing a lot of harm to people in the name of Jesus Christ and that's, that's maybe never been dealt with in the way that it needs to. And we have to be people who are willing to acknowledge that and reckon with it. So that's statement number one is that that is a very real thing, the very, very real thing. Maybe some of you unfortunately have had to endure. It's a very real thing, a very wrong thing that sometimes happens at the hands of the church. Here's statement number two is that sometimes, particularly in our cultural context today, people will come out of the church saying, the church hurt me, the church harmed me. When you do a little bit deeper investigating, and this is what you learned, is that person wanted to live their life in open rebellion and contradiction against the word of God, and the church drew a line in the sand and told them no. And we have to have the wisdom to discern the difference. We have to have the wisdom to discern those who have experienced real legitimate harm at the hands of the church and make sure that is reckoned with. And we also have to have the wisdom to be able to discern those who just don't wanna deal with their sin, who want to be able to live comfortably within their sin. And we need to love them enough to point them to the truth of the gospel. So both of these things are true at the same time. Church, we are not called to holier than thouness, but we are absolutely called to holiness. Be holy for I am holy. That is the invitation of the Lord. 
And that's only made possible for us through what's been done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So we see through the picture of Isaiah that we are purified through mercy. The second picture that we see is that we are justified through grace. Purified through mercy and justified through grace. This is uh, A.W. Tozer, really solid reflection he had here. He said, holiness is not based on the things we do or do not do. That's what we looked at last week. We don't have the capacity to make ourselves holy. The Lord has to make us holy. He says we have erred tremendously in this area and caused great harm to Christianity. We are not so much seeking holiness as we are seeking the Holy One. Here's the reality. Like if you just aim for holiness in your actions, you'll probably drift into holier than thouness. You probably will drift into self-righteousness. You probably will drift into empty, superficial, going through the motions religion. But if you aim for Jesus, he will make you holy. He'll give us what we need to be purified of sin and to walk with him faithfully. So we're purified through mercy. Second, we see that we're justified through grace. Purified through mercy, justified through grace. Guilt taken away, sin atoned for. So your guilt has been taken away. That's mercy. Your sin has been atoned for. That is grace. So if mercy is God removing the punishment for our sin, grace is God providing the payment for our sin. Um, I'm I'm gonna illustrate this uh, through uh, uh, my own personal failure about two weeks ago at a day that I was much in need of grace and mercy from more than one person. So during the month of July, uh, I was on a, a short little sabbatical and um, I started serving the church when I was uh, 17 years old, as a senior in high school. And um, this sabbatical, and I'll be 34 in October, so more, pretty much half of my life, almost my entire adult life, I've been uh, just serving in the local church. And so that sabbatical in July, that was the longest period of time I, I could remember going back to my senior year of high school that I didn't have a lesson to prepare for. I didn't have anything to teach. I didn't have anything to preach. I'm going to be honest with you guys, like it was weird. It was really, really weird. Like it was hard to disconnect and get myself uh, out of that mindset, but finally uh, settled into things. But then what I found was when it was time to ramp back up, it was hard to get back in the right mindset. And I was joking with our staff after the first week I was back in the office. I was like, guys, my, my brain just hurts. I'm flexing muscles this week that I haven't had to the last month. And so uh, when I was back preaching two weeks ago, I did something, our second service I've never done before, um, which is I, I just totally blanked on what time this, this service ends. Like literally just could, could not remember. I got it in my mind that our second service ended at 11.15. But as you very well know, our second service doesn't end at 11.15. The third service starts at 11.15. And so I've got my little clock up here. I know I always need to be done preaching with about 10 minutes left to go. So in my mind, I was telling myself I had to like 11.05. And, and there was a moment of decision when I was up here preaching. I was like, man, it feels like I've been up here for a while, but no, the clock is good. And so I was, man, I was pulling stuff off the mental shelf that I had cut for my sermon. I was like, yeah, I'm going there and I'm going in there and I'm going there. So I say amen at about 11.03 and I go to the communion table. And as soon as I get there, it hits me. I was like, what have I done? This service doesn't end at 11.15. The next one starts at 11.15. So of course I had just preached about like, hey, we don't need to go through the motions. Like let's, let's enter into worship, but y'all are coming through the communion line. And internally I'm like, we need to hurry up. Like we gotta, we gotta speed this along and it's my fault. And, and so I received two gifts from staff and leaders that day. I received grace and I received mercy. From the worship team, I received grace. They gave me something I didn't deserve, which was more time. Now, usually somebody magically appears and starts playing the wrap it up music. You know what I'm talking about? Like the soft little piano, and that didn't happen. So blame them, I guess. Like it didn't happen. So I was just like, yeah, we're, we're good to go. I just, I just kept rolling. They gave me what I didn't deserve, which was more time. What I deserved from the kids' leadership team or what I received from the kids' team was mercy. Cause I mean, they're back there with the barbarians for like an extra 15 minutes. 
And, and so, you know, of course I walk out, I'm like making my apology tour down the hall. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm talking to, to Leandra and Carolyn, of course, they're so sweet. They're like, it's okay, we figured it out. I think internally they were probably plotting my death though. And, um, and, and so, so what I received from the worship team was grace. They gave me something I didn't deserve. What I reserved from the kids, got from the kids team was mercy. They withheld what I did deserve, which was wrath. And that's what we've been given in Jesus. We, we were given something we don't deserve. We were given the gift of his perfect life, death, and resurrection. And what was withheld from us is what we did deserve, which was the wrath of God against our sin. Poured out on Jesus Christ in our place, on our behalf. And it's from that foundation of mercy, of knowing this is what the Lord has done for me, that we, like our brothers and sisters in Christ overseas, can say, I will give my life for the one who gave his life for me the one who would show me mercy, the one who would rescue me from death and hell and destruction. I will give my life in response to him, come what may. So, so what do we do with, with all this this morning? Just a, a couple minutes to wrap up here. Um, two invitations that I wanna give us today as response. It's two invitations to the altar, the same altar that, I, that we see displayed through the ministry of Isaiah. The, the first invitation is, is to come to the altar with our sins of rebellion, and the second invitation is to come to the altar with our sins of religion. We touched on this briefly last week, but I wanted to return to this one more time this week and impress us just a little bit. This was the ministry context for Isaiah. And for the people, for the nation, it was impure praise. It was superficial, lifeless, heartless worship. It was going through the motions faith. It was checking the box faith. It was empty, dead, dry practice of faith. And eventually the Lord just says, look, enough. But even in that, you go back to Isaiah 6, how's the Lord invite the people? He says, hey, let's reason together. He says, there's sins, that they're like scarlet, they're red, like scarlet and crimson. He says, I'll make them white as snow. And so that's the invitation for you this morning. Man, it's, it's, it's just to acknowledge for some of us what we're gonna have to do before our hearts can truly be in it. We're just gonna have to confess to the Lord that our heart hasn't been in it. And he knows this. Listen, like we know when someone's doing something for us that they don't really want to be doing, that they don't really mean to do, desire to do. And there's a, there's a part of us that would rather them just not do it at all. The Lord knows what's going on in our heart. Like we're not surprising him with this. And we just might have to come to him this morning, Lord, just, just confess, man, I've just, just had half-hearted commitment to your son, half-hearted commitment to the church, half-hearted commitment to this mission, half-hearted commitment to your word. Just kind of been checking the boxes, going through the motions. I need to see you. I need to be reminded of your holiness, of your beauty, of your glory. I need to be reminded of my own testimony. I need to be reminded of the gospel and the goodness of who you are for me and what you've done for me. And then listen, for some of us, it's gonna to need to come to the altar with these sins of rebellion. There's ways that our lives and our lifestyles are just out of alignment with the word of God. We're not, we're not, we're not hiding that from him, guys. We're not hiding it from him. We just need to confess like, Lord, there's ways I've resisted your word because it's been a threat to my happiness. I need to receive your holiness so that I can become truly happy. So I might just need to confess, Lord, this is where my life is, is out of line with, with your word. Just lay that at his feet that this morning. And listen, that this is what we're promised in Isaiah 6. Sin taken away, guilt atoned for. Lord's not doing this so that he can continue to beat you down with guilt and shame and failure. His holiness is not meant to harm you. It's meant to heal you. And it's available to you through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. 
you know, uh, it's common practice um, you know, for some individuals or businesses or organizations, if they get to the place where they've paid off a significant debt, uh, they'll get together and what do they do with that note once the debt's been paid? They'll burn the note. And that's the picture at the altar that we see today. Jesus has burned the note. At the cross, Jesus did not go on your behalf to co-sign alone. He took on himself fully the payment that you owed and he satisfied the debt in full. He doesn't need you to jump through hoops. He doesn't need you to, to prove yourself and to prove your worthiness. He knows our unworthiness and yet his holiness is still offered to us fully through faith in his son. And it's not meant to harm us, it's meant to heal us. And so, so I just wanna encourage you to bow your heads with me here for just a moment. This is what I wanna do as we close up. Ephesians chapter two, I think is, is probably the clearest passage that just summarizes the good news of the gospel um, in one place in all of scripture. And this is the apostle Paul really writing at a theological level, the picture of what we've seen through the work and life of Isaiah today. And so I know this is a, a very familiar passage for many of us. And so if you're really familiar with it, maybe just, maybe just bow your heads and just let me just, let me just read the gospel over you this morning. And, and if not, it's gonna be on the screen. And, and so that, that's what I wanna do is I just wanna let us, let us immerse ourselves here in the gospel. Let us be reminded of who God is and what he's done for us. So just, just receive this this morning. Let's, let's let these words just speak over you here. Paul writes, this is who we were and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. This is who we were. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the turning point, but God, who is he? being rich in mercy. Rich in mercy, treasure trove of mercy, abundance of mercy, no shortage whatsoever of mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, we might, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He is holy and we are not, but he has shown mercy and he sanctifies us and sends us on mission. It's God and man and Christ in our response. This is the gospel. And I pray that you'll allow those words to sing over you today.